which is part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Today's teaching is by Pastor Daryl Ruiz. Good morning. How are we? Good? All right. Well, welcome. If this is your first time here at Cornerstone, we're glad you're here. I hope you find this to be a place where uh, the name of Christ is lifted high. That is our intent as a body of Christ, as a family. I, I feel a little hot here, Heath. Um, not hot, hot, but Mike's hot. Sorry. Uh, if, you, if this is your first time, uh, we are glad you're here. We don't believe you're here by accident. We'd love to have a record of your visit if you would help us out. In your bulletin in the bottom right-hand corner, there's a little, little portion there you can tear out. If you would, before you leave sometime, fill that out. Drop it in the uh, wooden box at the back of this room. That's where we give our tithes and offerings as a congregation. We're not asking for your money. We're just asking to have a record of your visit so we can pray for you. Uh, also, Cornerstone family, if you have a prayer request, you can always put it on that little portion of your bulletin as well and drop it in the box back there on your way out. All right? Um, today, you might have noticed something looks a little different about me. I'm not in my normal uh, attire. I'm certainly not wearing flip-flops today. Uh, and that's not just because it's cold outside. Today is Veterans Day, and there are a few of us, you're going to notice, around who actively serve in the military. And thus we have uh, donned our uniforms not to draw attention to ourselves, but to honor all of those who have served our country. Not to be confused with Memorial Day, which marks and honors those who have died on behalf of our country in the services. Veterans Day is the honoring of all those who have served past and present uh, in the military services. As an officer and uh, as a chaplain now, uh, it makes sense that I carry great respect for our servicemen and women, but uh, I'm not simply looking this morning to honor them with some sort of sermon pointed in the direction of Veterans Day. That's not my intent. As a pastor and as a chaplain, first and foremost, I'm, I'm called to teach. I'm called to teach, particularly today. I want to teach you from the Bible why respecting and honoring our military personnel uh, is the Christian thing to do. Did you know that? It's the Christian thing to do. As a Christian, uh, do you know what your position on government and its military should be? Do you? Do you know? Uh, let me ask you another way. If you had to teach your kids about the guy in uniform that they see today or maybe one day when you're out in public or in the airport, what are you going to say from a Christian world view, from a biblical perspective? What do you teach your children about our government and the military of that government? Question, does the Bible tell us? Does it give us a position? The answer, I would say, is yes. You see, unless you understand um, what God's Word has to say on the matter, then you would probably come into a church service like today on one of these government or military type holidays and you would have this sense that when we attempt to celebrate something like a Veterans Day that we're somehow uh, cheating God out of His day. I mean, this is the Lord's day, right? I mean, this is, this is His house and this is His day. And so there's this, there's this feeling that you might have as a Christian that for us to focus on anything other than him, especially to focus on something like a Veterans Day, although we you know, might be red-blooded Americans in here and we might wave the American flag on the front of our homes or uh, celebrate 
July 4th, etc., or these holidays in other ways, this is something altogether different, and uh, that just is not correct. That's not the right perspective to take. From God's perspective, there is no such thing as separation of church and state. Did you know that? <laughs> Did you know that? Uh, I was at Beef O'Brady's a couple years back. Some of you know we do a pancake ministry there. A uh, little commercial for pancakes. If you've not served at pancakes in a while, sign up for pancakes, all right? We give away free pancakes every Saturday morning, 8 to 10 a.m. at Beef O'Brady's in Jefferson. About to finish up four years straight, I think, we're going on doing that. And so if you haven't plugged into that ministry, you need to do it. You need to do it. It'll be a blessing to you. I was there a couple years back, and when we first started doing pancakes at Beef O'Brady's, about once a month there was this group that would come. They were the young Republicans, young Democrats, young something. And it was a government group, and they would come together, and they would have breakfast on one side of the restaurant. They had been doing this long before we had gotten there. And they would come together, and they had this big spread, this big buffet that Beefs would put out for them, of, you know, all this good stuff, and they would pay for it. And we were on the other side giving away to people in need, uh, just pancakes, and um, and that was good, and it was just kind of this odd dichotomy of what was going on in 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 the world, and uh, so they would pack out this side of people coming and very interested in government and uh, local government and state government and national government, etc. And uh, they were always real enthusiastic, et cetera. And as is always the case, if they find out there's a preacher in the in the house, right, you get to say the blessing. So every time they would get together, they would give some sort of cursory prayer, you know, to be. You know, I think just to express their conservatism. What is that word? Something like that. Conservatism. And, uh, and they would move on. Well, then they found out what we were doing on this side, and, they, and that there was a preacher usually there. And so uh, I knew it was coming. And I had already determined in my heart what my prayer would be and what I would say if they asked me to do anything. And, um, and, and finally the day came. Because I knew what I had already thought I would say uh, and that they weren't going to like it, uh, when they asked the first time, I was gracious, and I sent Preston out to uh, do the prayer instead, and I stayed in the kitchen. Uh, that didn't work for long. They asked again, oh, and Steve came back, and he said, oh, well, they want the pastor to do the prayer. And so I okay. And I think I even warned Steve uh, that, it, that they might not ask me to do it again. And uh, I went out, and they had a little microphone set up there, and the guy who was moderating the whole thing, he, he introduced me and uh, asked me to say a word and give a prayer. And so I, I took the microphone, and they all got silent and looked at me. And I said, it's always my pleasure to say a prayer and a blessing over a group of ministers. And it was dead silent. And uh, I remember looking over at the, uh, the guy in charge who had just handed me the mic, and he was in shock. Uh, he was a little confused, and I think he was scared as well at where this was going. And then I opened my Bible, and I read to them Romans 13. I could have quoted it to them, but I didn't want them to think I was making it up. I read to them Romans 13. You'll see that in a moment. And I explained to them how they are ministers of God. And I don't think my prayer was long. Uh, I think I said something to the effect of, God, do not let these men and women sleep a wink at night until they come to grips with the fact that they are your ministers. And their authority has been given to them, not just by the public vote, but by you. Amen. And I, I saw this, this older guy who was there every time, and he was pretty loud and opinionated every time I, I had seen him. And he was... His mouth was open, and the, and the young lady who was sitting next to him, she was kind of looking around like this, wondering if she had come into the wrong meeting. 
the government and its military uh, is, whether you know it or not, a minister of the Lord. You know, wearing, uh, wearing this uniform makes me a minister, not just a part of the military. And that's not just because of the cross that I bear on my lapel as a chaplain. The military is an arm of the Lord. There are three institutions given by God to humanity. Do you know what they are? First, any guesses? First institution? The family. And it would include marriage, lest we forget. Have we tampered with that one? We have. It is the family or the home instituted by God. It wasn't our idea is, is the point there. We didn't, we didn't in all our great wisdom come up with the family to make better civilization. That was God's ordained institution. The second is the church. The church. Certainly not our idea. The third, maybe you didn't know there was a third, it is the government. Each of these, God ordained institutions, was intended in some sense or in some way to deal with our greatest problem, and that is sin. Here's how it works. Institution number one, the home, your home, the family, unit. Be fruitful and multiply. Now take that little sinner and teach him to repent and place his faith in his God. That's a simplified version, but that's how it's intended to work. That's what that institution is in a broad sweep intended to do. The church is to come alongside the family and help the family to do its job. If mama and daddy miss their little sinner, then I get to come alongside them and help catch him maybe on the, on the top end. But if little Johnny and little Sally escape mama and they escape the preacher and continue in their sinful ways, they decide to go rogue. Guess what institution gets them now? The government. And it starts with their local authorities, the boys in blue, right? Bad boys, bad boys, what are you going to do? What are you going to do when we come for you? Teach your kids that old hymn. Uh, Because God has ordained the government and the authorities of the government for that purpose as an institution to combat sin. So moms, dads, teach your little sinners. I'll come alongside you, we'll come alongside you, and we'll try and cooperate together and do that. And if, and if they slip away from you, then you have preachers like me who teach them, repent, place your faith in Christ. But if that, if that doesn't work, if that doesn't work, and they, and they decide to go their own way and continue in their sin, guess what? They fall to the final agency of the matter. And if they're in this little neighborhood, the guys in the brown cars will get them. They get on a bigger scale, then they graduate to state police and FBI, etc., and they just go up and up. And if the bad guys come from across our oceans, then you get the Army, the Navy, the Air Force, and the Marines. And if you row your boat up to our shores, then we'll throw the Coast Guard at you as well. That is the intent of the government and its military force, is to combat sin. And, and the, the sin that expands into our lives and causes us to be evil. Let me ask you this morning just a few simple questions 
And uh, we're going to ask these questions of Scripture, and hopefully you get a better understanding of what I mean when I say the military is a ministry of God. Let me give you the three questions we're going to focus on. Number one, where does the government and its military get its authority? Do you know? Where does it get its authority? Number two, what is expected of that government? What is then, once it's given its authority, what's expected of that government? Number three, what happens if expectations aren't met? What happens if expectations aren't met? Let me pray for us and we'll jump in. Father God, we're here in your house and this is your day. Lord, give your, your body an understanding that there is no separation between what we do here in our own little lives and our own little civilization of America and, and what you have commanded. Give us wisdom on the matter. And in the midst of all the current events, Lord, would you, uh, would you give us the ability to apply your word so that we can walk out of here as believers being salty and being bright lights for the truth of your word and the gospel that it culminates with. We pray in Jesus' name, who is our cornerstone. Amen. Where does government and its military get its authority? I think you go back to the beginning. You go back to the book of beginnings, which is the book of Genesis. Track with me here. Just let me give you a... uh, a reminder of where in Genesis we are. By the time you get into chapter 3, creation has been brought into existence. God has blessed them, given them every good gift that He could give them, gives them one rule, and they break it. Chapter 3, men fall. If you want to flip through with me. They fall, and you see the curse issued. You see the decline of humanity the root of all of our evil and problems. Chapter 4, you get an example of what that evil would look like in Cain and Abel. Cain goes rogue, kills his brother. Humanity falls even further. Chapter 5, you see more descendants of Adam, the righteous, if you will, living alongside the evil man. What is God going to do about evil? God in chapter 5 says, I'm going to judge evil, don't worry. But at the same time, I'm going to be gracious. And you get the name of a guy in chapter 5 called Methuselah. You know, the trivia question for Methuselah is he is the oldest man to have ever lived. Anybody know how old he was when he died? 969 years old. The promise of Methuselah was by God to wicked and righteous men alike. I will judge this world because of the evil and because of the sin. But I'm going to be patient. I'm going to give you time to repent. I'm going to give you time to put your faith in me. And it's not going to happen until Methuselah dies. You see the grace of God? Peter would come along and he'd say, God is not slow about his promises. Some count slowness. He's not slack. He's patient towards us, not willing that any should perish. Chapter 5, he gives that promise. I'll be gracious as long as Methuselah lives. That's a long time. But judgment will come. Judgment will come. And judgment does come. Chapter 6, after further corruption, after further depravity, 
In chapter 7, you get the flood. Chapter 8, the flood subsides. God has kept a remnant in Noah and his family, as he always does. Grace, judgment, a remnant that is saved out of the flood waters. And then as civilization is set back up, God does something very interesting. He says, I'm never going to do this again. I'm never going to broad sweep, wipe out humanity. And we teach our kids that after the rain comes the what? The rainbow. That comes from Genesis 8 and 9. When the flood subsides, God takes his bow. And the Hebrew word for rainbow is the same word for a bow of an arrow. God says symbolically with the rainbow that this will be a reminder to you that every time it rains, don't freak out. The rain will stop. I'll not do that again. We're going to have a new program, a new system now. My bow has been set aside. I will not judge you in that way. So that's a great promise. But the question now becomes, what will you do with evil? In chapter 9, look at it. God turns to humanity and he says this in chapter 9. Verse 5, surely I will require your lifeblood from every beast, I will require it. And from every man, from every man's brother, I will require the life of man. Evil men will not escape. Verse 6, and you're looking in your Bible, it's it's offset here. It should be in your word because it, it gets poetic. This is what you call poetic justice. Here's the new program. Whoever sheds man's blood by, what does it say? By man. His blood shall be shed. For in the image of God, he made man. Go on, be fruitful and multiply. But don't miss. This is the establishment of the new governing system. And it will be run by who? Men. By the authority given to them by God. See, God's not going to come and deal with evil in the way he had dealt with it before. He set that bow aside and he says... Let's, let's do it this way. Now, it's not because in the grand scheme of things that God tried one way and he failed and now he has to come up with a new way. He's going to try something new. No, this in the providence of God is his way of teaching us from beginning to end what grace looks like, by the way. That's another sermon for another day. But now government is in the hands of you and I by the authority vested in us by our God. So you want to be an evil man? Guess who gets... Guess who gets to judge you now? Man. According to God's laws, God's stipulations. Let me point out just a few things here about this passage and the origin of where we get our authority in government. I want you to notice that Genesis 9 is long before the giving of the law. You don't even have the Ten Commandments yet. Long before law is instituted, government is instituted. Government will come in Exodus, or law... It will come in Exodus chapter 20. We're we're Genesis 9. But it isn't just the Old Testament, unless you say, well, Pastor, isn't that just an Old Testament all the way back to Genesis sort of thing? No, it would be talked about in the New Testament as well. Paul would tell the Roman Christians in Romans chapter 13, listen to this, every person is to be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from who? God. And those which exist are established by who? God. By the way, good, bad, or ugly, God takes credit. Therefore, whoever resists authority, verse 2, has opposed the ordinance of God. 
And they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. If you're a good guy, if you're a good boy, a good girl, do you fear the long arm of the law? No. They're to comfort you who is to fear. Do what is good and you will have praise from the same, meaning the governing authorities. But, verse 4, it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid. For it does not bear, what is the word? Sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God. That's the second time in the same verse. Also, it is an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. Therefore, it is necessary to be in subjection not only because of wrath, but also because of conscience' sake. What does that mean? It means don't just be afraid and submit to your authorities. Your conscience as a Christian should tell you that you submit to the badge, you submit to the soldier because they are submitted to God. They get their authority from God. Remember Barney Fife, ultimate ultimate uh, picture of authority, right? Uh, little Barney was, was sort of a joke around town, wasn't he? But anytime somebody tried to ignore Barney's authority, you know what Barney would do? Tap that little badge right there. Give him one of those sniffs. And he'd remind them that I'm the law. And behind this badge is somebody bigger than me, somebody stronger than me. I may look weak. I may not look that impressive, and Barney wasn't. But with that badge came the authority granted to him. Therefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, not only because of what they what they can carry out upon you, but also because of conscience' sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For rulers are, he says it again, servants of who? God. They are to devote themselves to this very thing. Why, why do we submit? Not just because of their strength, but because God has given them their authority. And so you are submitting to God and his institution. Let me show you what Paul says to Titus. Titus chapter 3, you can follow along on the screen. Remember, or remind them, excuse me, to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed, to malign no one. In the context here, it's the rulers and the authorities. This might be especially helpful for us in the last few days. Malign no one, be peaceable, gentle, showing every consideration for all men, good, bad, or ugly. For we also once were foolish ourselves. Don't get high and mighty, Christian, because you don't like what the government is doing. You were foolish yourselves. You were disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending your life in malice, envy, hateful, hating one another. Verse 4, but when the kindness of God, our Savior, and His love for men, uh, for mankind appeared, appeared to you, He saved us. He saved us. It wasn't your doing. Be humble. He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy by the washing and regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by whose grace? 
His grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. That's the picture of the gospel. He says, don't forget it. This is a trustworthy statement. And concerning these things, I want you to speak confidently so that those who have, been, who have believed in God will be careful to engage in good deeds. In the context, good deeds towards what? Governing authorities. These things are not only good, but they are profitable to men. Who are the men in that context? The men of the government. By being obedient, by not maligning, by being peaceable, kind, guess what? It's profitable, profitable to them for the sake of the gospel. Verse 9, but avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, strife, and disputes about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. Reject a factious man after a first and a second warning. Can we get factious when we don't like what's going on in our government? We sure can knowing that such a man is perverted and is sinning and is self-condemned, all warnings in the context of remind them to be subject to the ruling authorities. Not just to Titus. Listen to what Peter had to say. Chapter 2, verse 13. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Don't miss, don't miss that phrase. Submit yourself to every institution but the qualifier is, it's for the Lord's sake. It's for His glory. It's for His honor. Whether to a king as the one in authority or to governors as those sent by Him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God that by doing right, you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. In the context there, it's in doing right towards those institution kings, those in authority, the governing bodies sent by them. 16, act as free men and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, and guess what? Honor the king. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. Imagine that. For this finds favor. If for the sake of consciousness towards God, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly, for what credit is there if when you sin you are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? There's no benefit there. But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds, what does it find? It finds favor with the Lord. Are you finding favor with the Lord? Do you understand that God has extended His authority to our authorities? Throughout Scripture, God is seen as the sovereign over all nations, over all rulers and all authorities. When it comes to governments, good, bad, or ugly, they are in His hands. Nothing happens except by the allowance of the King, the King of kings and the Lord of all the lords. Trivia question. What is the most often mentioned career, job, in Scripture, it is a centurion. Jesus knew two centurions. Paul knew one, and Peter knew at least one. All, at all times, were treated with the utmost of respect. In fact, the first known confession that Jesus is Lord upon His crucifixion was made by, guess who? A centurion. The story goes 
that as he watched Jesus breathe his last, Scripture says that the centurion stood right in front of Jesus and seeing how Jesus died, how did he die? He watched Jesus lift his face to his Father. Into your hands I commend my soul. It's finished. And then his head fell and he gave up the ghost. It says that as a centurion stood directly in front of him and he watched how Jesus died, not just that Jesus died. How did Jesus die in front of the centurion? He died as a good soldier. What the centurion recognized was this was no rebel that we just crucified. This was a man, guess what, under authority. That Jesus raised his head to his father. It's finished. I've done my part as a good soldier. And then he died. That centurion, it says that after seeing how Jesus died, he praised the Lord. He praised the Lord. Last point on this question. Do you remember what happened when Pontius Pilate said to Jesus at his arrest, who who are you? Remember what Jesus said? He said nothing. He was silent. And then Pilate asks him another question. Do you not know that I have the authority? I have the authority to give you life, release you, or I have the authority to send you to the cross. I have the authority to crucify you. Remember what Jesus' response was this time? Was he silent? He was not silent. He says, no, I'll have to, I'll have to argue with you on that point. Because you have no authority unless my Father gives it to you. And it says from that point on, Pilate tried his best to figure out a way to let Jesus go. I would too. I would too. Question, under whose authority was Jesus killed? Careful. Under whose authority was capital punishment allowed to be carried out on the Son. It was upon the authority of the Father. No other. Where does any government and its military ultimately get its authority? It gets it from God. What is expected of that government to which he gives his authority? A couple things here. Number one, I would say that what is expected is for that government to not only recognize where their authority comes from, but those governing officials and the military branch of that government is expected not just to recognize, but to submit to the authority of the sovereign that is over them. Who's the only person in the Bible who is told that they must read their Bible as they had it at that time? Every day. Every day. Not only that, they not only had to read the Bible every day, they had to read a copy of the Bible, the scriptures that they had, that they had handwritten themselves. They were commanded that they had to write their own copy of God's word. It was the king. It was the king. Guess who got to stand next to the king as they made their own copy of scripture? The priest. Why? King, you are not sovereign. You are not ultimate. You are not king of kings. You are not lord of lords. He is king of kings. He is lord of lords. There's no separation of church and state. The priest would stand there so that nothing was corrupted. So that every jot and tittle in the Hebrew was there. 
You don't get to go your own path, king. You submit to the authority of the word of God. You not only recognize that authority, but you must submit to it. Why did they do that? Why did God command that the king would do that? To remind them, for one, that they are not sovereign, but also to keep them humble, that they understand that they are under authority as well. It's a good idea. It's a good idea. First responsibility of government is to lead the people to submit to the authority of God. Did you know that? Amen? This is why, uh, incidentally, when our president takes oath, he lays his hand on the Bible. I'm not sure how much longer that'll last. It's kind of just a tradition at this point, I would say. But that's why we do it. By this authority vested in me. It's not my own authority, and I'm not sovereign in this game. I don't get to do whatever I want to do. That's who they're supposed to be. What are they supposed to do? What is our government supposed to do? First and foremost, I need my government to be a terror on evil men. And so do you. If they want to pave the roads out here, that's great. But you don't need them to do that. Dirt road will work just fine. Many of you grew up on one, as did I. If they want to teach our children, that's okay, but I can teach my own children, and so can you. And by the way, that's, that's your responsibility. At the end of the day, when you stand before God, the, the raising of your children is, is on you. It's on the institution of the home, secondarily the church. The government wants to help with that. That's great. We can take the help. But that's not their primary responsibility. There are lots of things the government can do, but there is one that they must do according to Scripture, and that's to cause the wicked to fear. Uh, By the way, do you see why we would focus our attentions on such a holiday here? You see why it's okay and even right to celebrate such a thing in the house of God? I don't need the government to feed the poor. And I don't need them to take care of my parents when my parents get old. Christians, we should appreciate more than anyone else the things that our government does do, especially because, frankly, God gave many of the responsibilities to us, the institution of the family and the home and of the church. First, at the end of the day, you better be clear on what God will call us to account for as a body and will call you to account for as a family and not pawn it off on your government. You've got to understand what your responsibility is in those initial institutions before you try and decide what the governing authority's responsibility is. God has given them a job. God has given them a job. And frankly, it's not... It's not much of what we task them for doing. They are to cause the wicked. They do not bear the sword nothing. to the good. Thank you for listening today. To evil. We hope this message was a blessing to you. Sin. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can right visit us online or at www.corner-stone.org. Or find us uh, when Facebook. I began chaplaincy, I asked, uh, I kind of started asking people who were in the military, you know, did you have experiences with chaplains? What do you remember? What was, 
uh, what was your impression of the work of the chaplain, et cetera? And I remember asking my brother this. My brother served in the Marine Corps, and uh, he was a part of Desert Storm back in the early 90s, and he was a part of a unit who was spearheading the, uh, the, uh, the attacks and the uh, opening up of Kuwait. And he said, I don't remember chaplains being around a whole lot. I, I remember seeing them. He said, but I'll never forget the chaplain who came in the night before we were to go into Kuwait for the very first time. And we all knew what that meant, and we all knew it could be bad. And he said, everybody, everybody in the unit was religious all of a sudden. And when the chaplain drove up uh, in his Humvee, everyone was kind of excited to see him. And he said, you kind of got this feeling that everybody was hoping for this prayer, that, that this thing the next day wasn't going to happen, that somehow peace would come, that somehow the talks were going to work out, that somehow they weren't going to have to do what they thought they were about to have to do. At the very least, they were hoping that he was going to pray for their protection and safety, that somehow God would divinely just put this hedge of protection that we like to pray over them and so that everyone would be safe. And he said, what I'll never forget is that he didn't pray all of those things. What he came and did was he, he said he was like this, uh, he said he reminded me of like a drill sergeant. He was, he was very emphatic and he was, he was gung-ho like none of us soldiers were at the moment. And he prayed that we would shoot straight. He said something to the effect of these men have to go in and do their job. Lord, help them to do it. What did that chaplain know? That chaplain knew that these men were standing between good and evil. And sometimes, God help us, sometimes we need those men to do their job. We need those women to do their job by the authority that has been vested in them to be a terror to evil. The guy who taught me the Bible, he told me a story one time that uh, there was a man in his church going into uh, the police academy and he had just got done and he had ran into him somewhere and he said, Pastor, he said, uh, he said you know, I had heard you say before that uh, all of us in, in the government and the police and the military, that we're ministers, we're ministers of God. He said, that's right, you are, you're ministers of God. Romans 13. He said, well, I'm, I wonder if you could do something for me. And he was just joking with this pastor. He said, I wonder if you could pray for my pistol. And uh, the pastor uh, caught him off guard. He said, oh, I sure will. And he said he laid his hand on his thirty-eight and put his other hand on his shoulder, and he prayed that he would be a terror to evil men and that he would shoot straight when he had to. Is that necessary? Unfortunately, it is. Unfortunately, it is. And God has ordained it. Number number three. By the way, y'all, y'all seen Lonesome Dove? Seen Lonesome Dove? How are you, you going to know good theology if you haven't seen classics like Lonesome Dove? Augustus McRae, Captain McCall, one of my favorite scenes in, in any movie. These two Texas Rangers, old, hardened cowboy Texas Rangers, they're chasing down the bad guys, and they're up on a hill. They're up on a mountain, and the bad guys are down there in the valley running for their lives. Augustus McRae looks over, leans over on his horse, and he looks over this valley, and there's a sunset, and he's looking at the beauty of God's creation, and the bad guys are down there. And the next day, they're going to have to do their job. And he turns to Captain McCall, and he says, these old boys, they don't know that the wrath of God is about to fall upon them. He wasn't bragging about their power. What he knew was is they were the long arm of the law, an arm that reached from heaven. Wrath of God is about to fall upon them. According to the Bible, that is the primary role 
of the governing authorities. It is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. Number three, what happens if expectations aren't met? What would be God's response? Let me read to you Psalm 82. Psalm 82 is a sobering text. God takes his stand in his own congregation. He judges in the midst of the rulers. How long will you judge unjustly? What happens when government is corrupt and government doesn't do their job? How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Vindicate the weak and the fatherless. That's what you're to be doing. Do justice to the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. The needy. Deliver them out of the hand of the wicked. Unfortunately, verse 5, they do not know nor do they understand. They walk about in darkness. Picture of a, of a government who doesn't step up to its responsibility. What happens when this occurs? Listen to Scripture. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. That's what happens. An institution like the home doesn't do its job. Foundations of this world are shaken. It doesn't, it doesn't work right. When the church doesn't do its job, foundations shake. Something is amiss. When the government and its military does not do its job, the foundations are shaken. What happens when there's scandal in the home? It rocks us. What happens when there's scandal in the church? The whole world is shaken. What happens when there's scandal in the government? Does it shake our world? It does. It does. The word scandal in Scripture, scandalon, it means a stumbling block. We trip up. We fall when those things start to happen. It causes us to stumble. In any of these institutions where things go wrong, where we don't do our job, guess what? We start falling all over ourselves. It's scandalous. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. Verse 6, I said, you are, interesting right here, what does God call them? Little g gods. He's given them authority under him. And all of you are sons of the Most High. Nevertheless, you will die like men and fall like any of the princes. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for it is you who possess all the nations. Remember a story from Sunday school of Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel 4? king over Babylon, the pagan king. God, by his sovereignty, has given him authority over Babylon. One day, Nebuchadnezzar walks out onto his terrace and he starts to look around and he begins to boast in all that he has accomplished here. In other words, he doesn't recognize what God has done to put him in the authority that he has. As the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, it's not this great Babylon that I have built as my royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty. Jesus would say in the New Testament that thine is the kingdom, thine is the power, and thine is the glory. No other man, no other ruler, no other kings. The authority that they have has been given to them by God. What happens to Nebuchadnezzar? The word of the Lord comes to Nebuchadnezzar. 
God takes his mind in an instant. He's reduced to an animal, a beast. He grazes like a cow, Scripture says, for seven years. How quickly can God humble those in authority? Just like that. Just like that. Took his mind away from him and made him, made him like a beast of the ground. It says later in Scripture that at the moment that Nebuchadnezzar raised his eyes to the Lord, at the moment that he recognized God once again, God gave him his mind back and reestablished him. It, it's, it's in God's hands. It's all in God's hands. Can God do that? He certainly can. Can God take out a nation if he wants to? Unfortunately, he can do it just like that. Do you know your history? Have you seen it happen around the world? It has. When we punt God as the ultimate authority over our lives, over our families, over our churches even, and over our governments, we are in danger. We're in danger. He can do that. Point's pretty simple. Reject God and he can wipe you out. And so you got to be wondering how long before this is true of America, unfortunately. And I would say that while God could do just that, he could take us out in an instant. I'm of the opinion that God is doing a Romans 1, 2, and 3 in America. He is giving us over to our own depravity. Each step that we step away, he gives us over. He gives us over. Unfortunately, we suffer the consequences of our own wretchedness and our own depravity. God's not slow about his promise to come back and judge, to set all things right. To claim his authority once again. He's not slow to do that. He's not a slacker. He's not falling asleep in heaven. He's being patient towards us. Not desiring that any should perish, but that all might come to repentance. God knows exactly what he's doing, even here in America. You rest easy. God is on the throne. Even if he's not recognized as such. He is doing his will on the earth. And he is answering this problem of sin. You rest easy. Uh, Napoleon was once asked, whose side is God on in this battle? And he responded, he's on the side of those who have the biggest cannons. And then God took everything away from him. And he made the statement, man supposes but God disposes. God is sovereign. He is King of kings and He is Lord of lords. Nothing escapes Him. Nations and governments are at His disposal. Military, it is a ministry. You've got to have a right perspective. Do you know, Christian, what your biblical perspective towards government and military is? If you don't, then you're able to just separate it off as some, some entity that we can now walk away from, potentially. But that's not what God has said we do. We are to honor. We're to be a blessing. We're to be peaceable. We're not to malign. We're to be kind. We're to find favor. And it's not just for our profit but it's to their profit, God says. And ultimately, God's word says that it will bring him glory. 
that we respond in those ways. It's tough to do sometimes, isn't it? Tough to do. Um, I haven't worn this uniform very long. And every time I go to drill, I have guys saluting me because of this pin and because of this pin alone. Men who've served longer than I've been alive and have seen things that I hope to never see. But still they salute me when I walk by because I am of higher rank. But they salute not the man, they salute the rank. And they're happy to do that. Why? Because via the President of the United States down through the chain of command, authority has been vested in this pin. In each pin that goes up. And for those who fill a role under, they're happy to salute the authority that has been vested in, not me, not my experience, not my ability, not my capabilities. Hopefully I have those. <laughs> but in the rank. Barney Five, right here. There's law behind this badge. Bigger than you or I. That's what we respect. So what do you do? That is a Christian and as a citizen of this great United States. Um, can I tell you what I have found that the men and women who, who don uniform of the military would have you do? Just simply say thank you. I have found that these are humble men and women. Humble men and women. And we close in prayer here in just a minute. If you've served in any, in any way our great country, past or present, uh, we'll ask you to stand and we'll pray and we'll thank God for your service. But what I know is that these men and women don't, don't need accolades. They don't need applause. They'll be happy with a thank you. A correct appreciation for the authority that has been granted to them. And as Christians in the military, a great appreciation for what God has granted to them. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, there are, there are probably many more questions we could address. What about capital punishment? What about the right to bear arms? What about thou shall not kill? How does that play in? What about an order that doesn't seem just or an order that doesn't seem to line up with the morality that your word teaches us? What do, we, what do we do then? What do the men and women in uniform do then? There are lots of questions. What about the modern sense of warfare? Where, where battles are battles are fought from from a long way off. They need not look into the eyes of their opponent. There's a lot of questions that the men and women in our military have to answer. Hard questions. Lord, would we as the church not be afraid to ask those hard questions of your word and of you? Would you give us clear answers? Lord, there is no and there should be no separation in our minds as your children between us and them 
those who are in authority over us. That's not a, that's not a right attitude for us, God. Would you correct our attitudes? Would you give us the appreciation for those in authority over us? Lord, could we, as we, uh, as we wrote in the uh, prayer section of the bulletin this morning, would we be willing not just to pray for them to be changed where they're gone wrong, Lord? That's too easy. Would we just, at some point, be willing to just pray blessings over them who you have granted authority? Lord, we don't pretend to know all that you might accomplish through even those who would fall short but we know that in your sovereignty you can accomplish much so the world asks you to do that in our country and through our military and through those who govern over us and we ask you to change our hearts that we would be a blessing to them Lord, I think we as Christians have a great opportunity in our, in our country. We have a great opportunity to respond well. Give us wisdom and discernment to know just how to do that and, and when to do it and how to do it. Use this biblical perspective as the basis of how we live our lives in regard to those who who wear the badge and who don the uniform. We trust you, God. We trust you with our lives. And we trust that above all that is America, you are in control. And you are doing, you are doing all that you have set your mind to do, set your heart and will to do to combat sin. Pray, pray, Lord, that we in every institution would find our part. As you are being patient, so that none would perish, but that all might come to repentance. We pray in Jesus' name, who is our cornerstone. Amen. Amen. We're going to pray and be dismissed here in just a moment. If you have served, if you're currently serving in our military, I'm just going to ask you to stand as we're dismissed. We've made it a habit in our church to pray for those in our, in our church body uh, as we depart. And so this morning, we're going, to, we're going to thank God for those who have served our country. Amen. Dear Lord, we, we give thanks for the men and women who serve currently and who have served in the past. And they have great pride, I'm, I'm confident. they are also humble men and women. Lord, maybe they've never heard of the authority that comes from you. Lord, I pray that it would bring them peace. It would help them to know the path that they walk. Lord, would you bless them who are willing to lay it down for their brothers and sisters. Rarely would one give his life for even a friend. These men were willing to do that. And as we close, Lord, we thank you that that you not only gave your life 
for your friends, but you gave your life for us, your enemies. Enemies by our declaration, not yours, Lord. You laid it down, dear Jesus, as a good soldier under the authority of your Father. You laid it down for us. And you received upon yourself the punishment due our sin, the capital punishment established all the way back in Genesis. You paid in your blood. help us as we uh, we need it we need it I pray revival would start in the church and in the home in Jesus name